Now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Accountant, Stockbroker and Financial Planner. And today, Stephen Pritchard, we're going to take a look at uh, family trusts, is that right? Yes, we're going to have a look at family trusts. They're, they're becoming a, an increasingly um, popular structure to hold uh, assets, um, and particularly when you're starting to run up against your cap in your superannuation fund. Right, okay. So we'll look at that. We'll also take a look at, at the market, our market update today, and currencies and commodities will be on the menu. And Stephen, um, tell me, at this time of year, is it time to take refuge in a gold mine? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, uh, probably in a few more months when it gets hotter because it's cooler down in the gold mine what than up here. What a good thought. <laughs> but a, a gold mine will cost you more this week than last week because the, the the price of gold was up $30.86 an ounce to uh, $1,658.44. So the price of gold's, you know, up a bit, but, you know, not, not yeah. You know, Nothing to get too Six worried Six months ago, about. it was $1,650. So, we'll wait for yeah. the hotter weather, shall yeah, we? Yeah, hotter weather. At least it's cool down there. You can take your, your bottle of wine or whatever down there with you and, and <laughs> yes. it'll be nice and cold. Yes, okay. Don't need a fridge for the food either. No. Nah. Yeah. Depends what type of food, I suppose. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, Other um, commodities. <laughs> so the copper price was up 2.8% on the week to 8361 And the... the uh, Crude oil price is, is now that's been that, that's up, increased by five percent in the last month, so we're up to a dollar one hundred and five dollars and seventy one cents a barrel, or up another two dollars forty two for the week. Um, in the currencies, a um, bit of a mixed bag there. Um, we're up um, almost one percent uh, against the US dollar to seventy three point one. Um, we're down against the Great British pound to fifty six point one two pence. And against the New Zealand dollar, we're pretty much steady at $1.08. And against the euro, we were down um, half a percent to 62.43 euro cents. So nothing really major in those No, so Henry's money hasn't changed much while he's... I think he's in the UK. Yeah, right. Sending pictures of hotels and various things on Facebook I saw the other day. (laughs) Having a good time. He does Mm. look like he's having a good time. Mm. I was thinking, Mm. all these people are there. Mm. We should be there. No, we're here. Yeah, Can we run the show from work. there. Yeah, anyhow, well. anyhow, um, the All Ordinaries Index. Um, so people who invested in the stock market might be a bit richer this week. Um, it was up one and a half percent on the week, or ninety six point seven points to six thousand four hundred fifty six. Oh, is uh, that the first time it's been over six thousand four hundred? No, no, no. Okay. No, uh, was six thousand four hundred in the fifth. Of August, okay. um, but it hasn't been there for a while. Um, um, then the S and P five hundred was up uh, almost two percent on the week to two thousand nine hundred fourteen. Uh, the UK index was steady at seven thousand five hundred sixty three, and the Hang Seng index was up two point five percent to twenty eight thousand four hundred sixteen. <laughs> Um, uh, stocks that local investors seem to like or seem to have holdings in. Um, BHP uh, seems to be everyone's favourite here for historical reasons. Yes. Um, it was up a dollar thirty-three in the week to thirty-three dollars and eighty-one. Um, CBA was up two dollars forty-eight to seventy-three dollars and twenty-three, uh, and which really should be everyone's favourite particularly if you've got some shares in the, the float. Um, NIB was up almost 1% uh, to $6.54. So that must be getting up to close to an all-time high there. Mm. Um, 
And uh, Telstra, Telstra was down two cents on the week to three dollars and fourteen. Okay, but it seems to be over the three dollars. Yeah, been for a little while. Well, we never got to the two fifty. Yeah, there you go. Anyhow, we'll see. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. And um, fuel prices, um, fuel prices, a dollar fifty point. Uh, one litre for unleaded, which was down uh, one and a half cents on the week. And Sydney was $1.38.8, which was down seven cents on the week. So when's the next holiday? It's the October long weekend, isn't it? I suppose it is. Yeah, That's terms. another month away at Before least. Before we have a pricing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the diesel the diesel fuel price, $1.52.8 in Newcastle, which was um, pretty much the as last week, and $1.50 in Sydney, which is the same in Sydney as last week as well. Uber. Cab charge, uh, taxis, they've been in the news quite a lot over the last few years and they're also in the stock market news today. Yes, yeah, so, well, yesterday, actually, yeah, yesterday. Now, cab, ch- cab charge cab charge announced that um, its revenues increased by 22.1% for the year and, and despite that, the profit fell by 36%. Now, one of the reasons that, that, that cab charge profits are falling is that the margins they've previously um, obtained on their um, credit cards and, and FPOS machines that you pay the taxi man by FPOS and, and the 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 regulators may is making them reduce them from ten percent fee to five percent over a period of time. Now the interesting thing is that cab charge says that Uber's having a race to the bottom. Um, the drivers are getting squeezed, which we kind of already knew after someone did a report the other day, a couple mm. of weeks ago, said the drivers are working for nothing, which I also knew because we had a few people and you know mm. it's just the work, the drivers are working for nothing. Uber's not making any money, and cab charge is. Quite, um, quite convinced that um, they're going to outlast Uber in the end. Uh-huh. So, so the parent, the parent company's not making any money. The drivers aren't making any money. So, where's the well, sustainability? There's no yeah. sustainability. I mean, it's it's not, yeah. and there's a huge turnover in drivers. Those people like my son think they're going to drive it because their mate drives it, and even still how much money they got, and mm. you know. Mm. So, I mean, Uber's all over the world, isn't it? Or in a yeah, number of countries yeah. in the world, and it's having some problems in some other countries. Yeah, yeah. That's a, well, well, uh, well, there's a big problem. There's big problems in India where, mm. where Uber assisted a lot of the Indians to um, finance their, their cars. And, um, and of course, there's a, now a lot of these Uber drivers who in Uber finance cars and they can't afford to pay them for cars back. So, mm. it, there's, lots of, there's lots of issues there. Mm. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, back in the powdered milk, um, Bellamy's has had a surprisingly turnaround. I mean, it, it went from a, a eight hundred nine thousand dollar loss to a forty three point two million dollar profit in the current year, which is why the share price has been going up and up over the last six months or so. Well, uh, did they just need? This was mainly in the Chinese market. Yeah, so so I I. I it's not quite clear where the increased profits come because it was in the article in the new announced release and it says that they're still waiting for certification by the Chinese regulators or the organic milk company. You know, if you you remember back Oh, about six or eight months ago, they they bought this milk processing facility that was certified by the Chinese, and about two weeks afterward, they bought it. The, the certification was withdrawn, and that oh. caused the share price to fall. So they seem confident that, that they're going to get that certification back. And you know, if they do, I assume the price will go up with ex- yeah. yeah. And and um, Blake Moore's um, Blake Moore's was 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 another you know um, flavour of the stock. Uh, market about 
tea, Christmas teas, Always Christmas, was, yeah, yeah their price went to $200. Yeah. Um, uh, on the expectation, as, as, as Marcus Blakemore said, the Chinese were lining up at the gates to the factory and the factory had to work 24 hours to supply their their vitamins and patients and, and then they all just went away, but they seem to have come back or are coming back again. So anyhow, uh, Blackmore's profit uh, sales was up 9% of the year to 601 million and and it um, has increased its dividend by 11% to $1.55. Now, Blackmore's is one of these, you know, Australian success stories that's just I acquired it was a New Zealand. Well, it might have you might have originally come from New Zealand, right, but the business okay. the business was always been set up in Australia. It was set up by Marcus Blakemore's father. Um, and it's one of these stocks that no one ever looks at, um, except when it got to 200 and became front page. But before that, it's done good returns for many years. And so what they've decided, they've also decided to acquire the weight loss business called Infini, which, which operates in pharmacies only. So they're obviously trying to boost their, their share in the pharmacy market. And Blakemore's has always been known as the premium um, vitamins and minerals. Uh, mm. Distributor, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. and they charge a premium price. Mm. But they, admittedly, they haven't had some of the, the contamination issues like uh, mm. some of the other vitamins. So they've obviously got reasonable quality controls in there. Yeah. Um, and, and the Bega Cheese Factory, well, is another one of these stocks that most mainstream people don't tend to avoid, but, you know, they seem to they seem to be just going from strength to strength. I mean, they, their profit for the year was up from uh, 30 million last year to 44 million this year. That's um, got to be good. They've yeah. declared a interim or a final dividend of 11 cents a share. And as you may remember, we spoke about earlier in the year, they bought the um, they bought the Vegemite brand back from um, mm. Kraft. Kraft, the international. Now, is this the reason that they've increased their profit? Oh, I think that's added to it, and I think because they're also buying part of the old Murray Goldman's um, dairy production. Plant which they've bought uh, at a very good price because the regulator made Saputo sell that. So I think, I think for someone looking exposure to a, a, a quality food stock, and you can also help the profits by being you can go and buy some of their cheese and Vegemite and whatever. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think you know they're supporting Australian industry, so and they're doing quite well. well good for them. Good for them. And uh, we are looking at what the market is doing. Our market update and Stephen Pritchard. CBA, yeah, well, the banks have certainly been in the news a lot and they're certainly keen to see what they do. Yeah, well, CBA and, and, and all the other banks, private investors were buying them because of the high dividend yield. Now, of course, what's happened, in particularly in CBA, I mean, they might have been getting a high dividend yield, but they've also now, if they've bought at the top of the market, they've now lost 20% of their... Um, their capital. So anyhow, so CBA, and I, I assume this would just be the first of the banks, is, is is going to have to review its dividend policy because they, what they're going to do is they're going to sell off um, the Colonial First State Group, which is their funds management and bits and pieces, which is a big profit earner for the business. So with that gone, there won't be as much profits to pay out. So the talk around the market is that CBA is going to review their dividend policy. So that... Mm. That probably means that it's going to be uh, 
decreased. And it makes sense without the colonial first state there producing the profits, um, it, it will, they will have to reduce the dividends. So how are they likely to do that? Are they likely to say, OK, you've got shares in CBA at the moment, which means you also have part a hand in colonial first state. Are they then going to give you shares in colonial first state as well as your CBA shares? And um, I'm not I'm not really sure. It's changed that many times. I'm kind of not sure where we're up to. I mean, the logical thing would be just to distribute it out to the existing owners and there's demerger provisions under the tax, which has got some tax benefits if you can get through those. Okay. Um, but I suspect I'll probably sell it to the, the existing shareholders. Mm, okay, which means... Give and then, then use yes. that to make a, uh, some kind of capital return. Yeah, yeah. okay, yes. Um you know, see, NAB distributed the Clydesdale shares out. Yes. Um, but BT floated, uh, Westpac floated off the BT management thing. Okay. So, so there's you different know, ways, different of, ways doing of doing it. So sure. I think you need to have to fi yeah. finalise that. Um, While we're on banks, Westpac, I think, has... Uh, yeah, Westpac, West, Westpac's uh, going to increase the interest rate, blaming increased funding costs. Um, you know, without looking at the bank's book, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't really know whether that's the case or not. Um, mm. I have noticed, though, that term deposits have, you know, it's not too hard to get a, a term deposit in the high 2% now, whereas, you know, six or eight months ago you were struggling to get a term deposit in the low 2 So the funding cost probably has increased in the term deposit. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, looking at the rates in the at-call accounts, um, if anything, I think they've come down. Mm, okay. Yeah, because there was a, quite a few special offices where you could get at call rates at 2%. Yes. Um, and really now, if you look around, um, most of the mainstreams are, you know, one and a half. Mm -hmm. yeah, I haven't mm -hmm. seen a 2% at call special for ages. So do you think the other banks are likely to follow Westpac's lead? Oh, they'll all follow. Yeah. Yeah, they'll all follow. Um, they, they might stick it out for a while to attempt to get some competitive advantage, but if, if what Westpac's saying is the funding costs are going up, um, everyone's funding costs were going up, so uh, they'll all do it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this, this is really, uh, that comes back to another issue, you know. People with home loans should be trying to pay off as much as they can when interest rates are low because you're reducing your debt faster and you're building that buffer. You know, if you've got, for every $100,000, for example, um, rates go up 1%, and Westpac wasn't talking about 1%, but if they go up by 1%, that's going to cost you $1,000 a year or $20 a week. So if you've got, if you've got a $500,000 debt, you're going to be up for... Um, hundred dollars a week in just an in interest interest costs if it goes up one if it goes up one percent so yeah now's an opportunity low interest rates are an opportunity to pay your debt back quicker not to borrow more money mm, that's fair Okay, moving... Oh, uh, uh, and AGL, the CEO of AGL's uh, exited in a rather a hurry and flown back to the US. I mean, I think this is another case of these executives come out from the US. Uh, they get everyone offside. Um, I can think of... Um, at least three. One or two. <laughs> yeah, at least the guy, the guy from AMP who wore the big feathered hat and mm. that one from Telstra mm. paid a lot of money. Yeah, so-called agents to change and leave someone else to clean the mess up. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues about AGL, in particular about the Liddell Power Station. They say it's valueless, but they've got people who are wanting to buy it and they won't sell it. So I don't know why you wouldn't sell a valueless asset because mm. the people are offering them, you know, 
tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, so they've appointed the the acting CEO's taken over um, the CEO's position. He supposedly got a reputation as taking a more conciliatory approach. Um, But, you know, the energy prices are skyrocketing in Australia. They're far out of alignment with Mm -hmm. overseas Mm -hmm. uh, parties. And the regulators, uh, you know, aren't just allowing it to happen. So perhaps we should import some of the regulators and the regulator processes from the US and, and apply them. <laughs> Maybe uh, that would do the trick. Uh, well, you know, it would. Yeah. So looking at Medibank now. Uh, Medibank. Well, Medibank, you know, contrary to NLB, which had a, a reasonably good profit increase, Medibank's profit actually fell 1% to $445 million, which is still a big profit. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it. Still a big, a big number. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to look into home care services to provide future growth. <coughs> now, I'm quite sure what that is, but because then they're talking about encouraging people to go to the gym and things to... To, to stop Medicare claims. So Medibank, they, these health insurers are, have, have got this problem and and I think it's more apparent. People blame the insurance companies, but a lot of the health insurers are still mutuals. And, and basically what happens, your contributions go in, you know, there's a administration cost for running the fund, which is generally around 10%, say. So then then the money gets paid back. So the mutual, the mutual health health funds aren't making big profits. They're basically breaking even. All the money that they're getting in is being paid out. So, you know, health insurance, the only variable you got is the, the rates you're charging and the, and the, and the you know, mutual operation, the rates you're charging and the um, claims you're paying out. So I think, you know, as long as the claims keep going up, the premiums are going to go up unless they reduce the percentage they're going to pay. Yes, that um, sounds... And, and freezing the premiums without addressing the claims issues is just going to make problems worse, I think. Mm, yes. Are we all getting more sickly? That's the next question. <laughs> and Costa Group. Well, you wouldn't be if you're getting... You wouldn't be getting more sickly if you were eating Costa Group's products. So, yeah, right. So, okay. <laughs> so Costa Group sells um, all those expensive berries you see in the supermarket. You know, those nice raspberries at $7 and the blueberries at... Mm. and all those things. And they also bought, halfway through the year, they bought Australia's largest avocado producer, which I think is called African Blue. I don't know what it's got a name on there, but yeah. It's Australia's largest avocado producer. Um, So as a result, their profit profit went from uh, $57 million last year to $115 million this year. And unfortunately, the share price fell because the, the avocado blue acquisition didn't produce as much profit as the market expected. Um, agricultural businesses are all a bit, you know, too much rain, not enough rain, hailstorms. Well, certainly not enough rain but, at the but, moment. But it's, uh, investors in Costa Group have had a good run, you know, it floated around $2, we're up around yeah, almost $8 in you know, the space of three years. You can't complain about that. And Stephen Pritchard with us today and very happy to take a question from you if you've got a question to do with your personal investments, taxation or the stock market. And, of course, oh, you can do that on 49216216 and, of course, on our next topic, which is establishing a family trust. Yeah, I mean, family trust came about... Um, Family trust came back to the back to the trust came about back to the Crusades, and this was uh, yeah, Crusades. Yeah, back okay. to the Crusades. That's how trust developed in English law. They went back to the Crusades, and because what would happen is the the, the master would go off to the uh, uh, fight in the Battle of the Crusades, and back then the women 
couldn't own property in their own name. So the the property or various assets were conveyed to a trusted advisor for safekeeping. So they that was the original development of of a trust. So it was set up for safekeeping of assets, and all goes back to the Crusades, which were the fifth. Yes, a long time ago. Yes, yeah, so there were several, I think. There was numerous Certainly crusades. A long time yeah. ago. So they went across to the to the Holy Land to fight the Crusades, and they appointed trusted advisors at home to to look after the, so the family castle and the wives and <laughs> and the daughters and other bits of property like that. Mm. And so that's how trust came about. Now, now over the centuries, they've kind of developed. Um, and originally, they were only really used for uh, for wealthy people, but 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 now they're becoming more and more common for for people of moderate-type means who've, who've got some reasonable um, assets. And, you know, what, what moderate-type means was, was, and, you know, when I was young, a millionaire used to be a lot of money, but now it's just a, you're getting up to a house in, in one of the outer suburbs is if now getting like to it. a million dollars. Mm. Yeah. So, so anyone who's got... Um, Anyone who's got, you know, a reasonably sized investment portfolio and, and can't put any additional money into superannuation um, because of the the, the, cap, uh, the caps uh, are looking at other ways to structure their assets. Um, so one of the a couple of the major benefits why people use family trust is, like we said originally, was for asset protection purposes to protect the assets um, um, in case uh, you, you know, particularly professional people, in case someone wants to sue them, doctors mm. and lawyers and things like that. Um, and then uh, the other thing is there is some encompassing um, advantages in some cases for the use of a with the use of a family trust. Okay. Um, and th- this is probably why they get this vision of. Um, some kind of uh, tax issue, but let's make it clean, clear that the money might go in the family trust, but that has to be distributed out to the beneficiaries and someone always pays tax on the income from the family trust. Mm. Yeah, so the, 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 it doesn't stop you paying tax. It just allows you to redistribute who gets the income. Okay, so... so- that can work out to your advantage or do you still end up paying probably? It can work out to your advantage because the way the Australian tax rate works, you've got um, marginal tax rates. Mm. Um, so so you might have a high income earner and and um, he's, he's earning a considerable amount of income. Um, instead of investing in his own name, he might invest in the family trust name and distribute the income, <coughs> the income to his wife. Now... The same result would have been achieved by by just you know giving the money to the wife and, and letting the wife invest in her own name. Why you would use if one reason you would use a family trust structure in this is because when the husband retires and um, or wife retires, depending on the high income earner, um, the the income distribution of the trust might then be made fifty fifty. And you don't have to go to the trouble of transferring assets and maybe crystallise a capital gains tax liability. So there are some planning issues that can be used to even a income in retirement by structuring your investments in a in a family trust. You know, by the time when you acquire them. Um, so how you go about setting them up? Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. How do you? I thought you'd have dozens of them, Jane. Um, it's re- it's really simple to to have a fair, to to have any type of trust. You need you need three three type of people. You need the the settler, the trustee, and the beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So the settler is the person who who starts the trust up, um, and they usually give some money to the trustee, and the trustee is the person who holds the the money or property 
on behalf of the beneficiaries. Right. So we've got, yes, these yeah, three Yeah, so you've bits. got the settler who... who gives the property or assets cost to the trustee and the trustee holds the money on behalf of the beneficiaries. And does things with the money yeah, to make so sure... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so doesn't the spend it. Well, he can spend it. Okay. He's not. So what will happen is when you set these trusts up, there's, there's a formal document executed because by the trustee and the settler um, called a trustee and the trustee will govern how the trustee can deal with the money and how they can spend the money. Mm, okay. okay. And do they have to write a document to say what they're planning to do, what the purpose of the trust is and all that? Oh, well, that's usually in the trustee. That's the original document. Yes. Yeah, so the original document's the trustee. It'll have what the purpose of the trust is, who the beneficiaries are and, and, and where the trustee can invest the money. Okay. Um, these documents are, are pretty uh, generic off-the-shelf documents and they've got a wide classes of beneficiaries and wide investment powers. But, but if you want to restrict... Um, um, what gets done. That which gets done. Um, you can have the lawyer craft up basically whatever you want, almost whatever you want. So the trustee, the trustee needs to be um, either a company or an individual. Mm -hmm. um, we always recommend a special purpose company because there's issues about changing trustees down the track if someone wants to retire or you want to add someone else as a trustee. It's a lot easier just to change the directors of a company. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot easier to change the directors of a company. And, and also if someone passes away and it's individual trustees, you've actually got to transfer all the assets and you can't do that till probate's granted. It's a lot, it's a lot better structure and a lot more robust structure to, to um, just set up a special purpose company to as act as a trustee. Although that could be the same person as an individual. Um, an it individual who might be in, an individual trustee could be a director of the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it'd be usually. Uh, and usually in family-type arrangements, the, the trustees, the, com the, the, the directors of the trustee company would usually be mum and dad or... Mm. or, or some combination of the family. Yes. Um, but usually mum and dad. Um, and the beneficiaries, the deeds are usually written in such a way that the beneficiaries would be um, mum and dad, uh, maybe mum and dad's parents and the children and maybe the grandchildren. Right. So that's what makes it a family trust. That's what course. makes it a family trust. So then what happens... Um, the, the, the property is given to the trustee. The trustee holds it on behalf of the, the beneficiaries under the trustee. So all the income comes in from the property and at the end of the year, the trustee decides who the income is going to be allocated out to. Ah, so there is usually a distribution each year. There's a distribution. Well, the trustee has to... The trustee has to distribute all the taxable income from the trustee each year, otherwise it incurs a penalty tax. Okay. So if the trustee does, doesn't distribute the income, it pays a penalty tax equivalent to the highest marginal tax rate. And that's definitely not the best way of using well, it. Well, it may be. There may be reasons why you'd want to do that, but it's rare. Okay. Um, and so the trustee comes prior to the 30th of June, decides in accordance with the trustee who the income is going to. And usually the trustee would consider um, all the beneficiaries and then make a decision. Yeah, okay. okay. So what about the costs? The costs? Uh, the costs, it would, it would usually cost you um, around about a plain ongoing trust, vanilla flavour, off-the-shelf documentation, um, around $2,000, of which $500 is stamp duty to the... Okay, so that's, that's for the setting up. That's for the setting up. And are there costs ongoing? Ongoing, you have to lodge a tax return, you have to do financial statements. Um, it, it would depend on how large 
the trust is, what assets contain. But I think you'd be looking at a minimum of $1,500 a year. A year, yeah. OK, yeah. yes, because it needs to be... Yeah, uh, documented uh, all documented, the way through. That's right. You need to and, and make sure the trustee doesn't mix the money up with their own money, which is another reason it's easier to use a corporate trustee. Yeah, I do say <laughs> you're right. Well, um, that's setting up a family trust. Um, there's plenty more, I'm sure, that we could talk about, but we won't today because that is Thursday finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. It's all happening on 2NURFM.